0: Rob Nickel joins us now from the Players Association. Rob, uh, I'm sure you have a golfing horror story, mate. Are, 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 are you getting out today at all?
1: No, mate. I um, I'll, I'll pass on the golf. I'll, uh, it's raining. <laughs> I don't want to
0: play in the race. I've got enough bloody problems playing. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for coming on. Um, I guess, you know, we, we I mentioned this yesterday when I got in touch about coming on. The, you know, as good as the performances for four of our Super Rugby teams were on the opening weekend, there's almost been as much chat about the mouth guards. Um, and the question that we got a lot yesterday was how much consultation was there with the players on this? Because the vibe seems to be that they're not overly happy
1: been niggly, to be fair. Um, I mean, they've been around for a while. Uh, it goes mm. back to 2018, 2019, actually. Quinns in the UK were the first team to really grab them. And interestingly, it wasn't really about concussion. It was about load management. They were having a lot of problems with their top players not being available for selection through injury at trainings and in games, but a lot of training. So they introduced these mouthguards and, and had the players wearing it all week. And they found through that they were able to really manage the player load. On the players, and and they, they pulled right back. Like those guys, they reckon they're doing like two to six minutes contact, full contact training a week now. That's all. Um, and they actually won the tournament in two nineteen. So the players got onto it, and the technology is sort of advanced. And then the idea was, okay, well, if you could use that technology to develop a, a sort of an algorithm that can measure um, the rotational impact of a head knock on the field, and you could Bluetooth that to the side of the Mm. side of the field in real time you know there's some real potential here so there's been a lot of trial of it. that there's been a fair few sort of operational niggly logistical issues around doing it but by and large they were making pretty good progress and this and they still are I mean yeah you know, initially there was two chips and the mouth guard was quite chunky um, they've refined the mouth guard it's still still quite chunky and some players find it quite uncomfortable um, the the other part that sort of, I suppose, um, suppose jumps out is a mouth guard's a real personal thing. Um, as you'll know when yeah. you play at that level, <laughs> you talked about looking good when you play rugby, well there's all sorts of stuff <laughs> that players have and if you've played 12 years or 10 years or 8 years of pro rugby and this is your job and everything has to be down pat, suddenly be told you've got to wear this mouth guard when you play and train. Um, that's presented a bit of a challenge. Uh-huh. Uh, the guys but the, the one that really kind of got us and they didn't talk to us before they they made the decision but we raised it straight away this is going back to last September October was don't threaten the guys like don't say you can't access HIA if you don't wear an IMG because straight away players are like hey hang on a sec we've been big supporters of the head injury assessment we've yeah, you know, we've backed it we've used it it's made a great game for the game in terms of managing acceleration events on the field don't tell us we can't access it if we don't wear your mouth guard. Like, we're happy to trial the mouth guard and, and help you get the data and refine it because it's got some incredibly, you know, it's a real positive piece of technology. But don't force it on us because some of us aren't going to be ready. And then the kicker is what you saw in the weekend of it is, and if you force it on us and tell us we have to wear it to access HIA, and then we find that quite a few guys are coming off and they passed the HIA, and they didn't need to be taken off, and it's a key moment of the game. What we said to them is, you risk losing the players, and if you lose the players, it's quite hard to get them back. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the changing room. And so we just said, look, don't mandate it as part of HIA. Let's spend 12 months, 18 months, trialling it with the Bluetooth technology on, on the field and real-time data with those that are willing to enable and, and get all the kinks signed out and nailed down. So that's the full story. Uh, but we... <laughs> Yeah, they didn't They don't listen, they mandated it from 1st of January and, and unfortunately there's a little bit of what we, we said playing out.
2: So yeah, Rob, that's co- correct me if I'm wrong, but if they do not wear these mouth guards, like you're just saying, and they wear their own mouth guard, and there is an instance on the field where they have a, a head knock, they cannot go out, they are taken off and they have no opportunity to do an HIA, so we lose that player for good.
1: Yeah, so um, so this is the other the other niggly part. We're into this today, aren't we? Um, but the, when you're in the HIA, if you display one of five key symptoms, you're removed from the field of play, and whether you pass the HIA you, or not, you're not allowed back on. So you're thinking ataxia, being knocked out, yep. uh, you know, standing up and um, you know, walking all over the place, going back to the wrong back line. I don't know if you've got the chance to do that, but <laughs> facing the wrong way or something. Um, yep. And so one of those five things you're removed, you can't go back on anyway. And so yep. under recognise and remove, like at community rugby, if you if you don't wear the mouthguard, you're you're subject to recognise and remove. So if you display any of those five things, you'll be removed and you won't be back back on. And that's no different. But where it's going to be tricky is if players say, well, I'm going to recognise and remove, and they take a knock because they can't do the HIA test and come back on. You know what's going to happen? The boys won't and the girls they won't put their hand up. Mm. They won't say, I've just taken a knock. They'll they'll hide it and we go right back to the start where you end up with players choose and recognise and remove because they don't trust the IMG technology and don't don't want to be removed and then pass the test and come back on. So they go, recognise and remove. Then they're taken off the field to play for a knock because they're a little bit worried but it wasn't like a knockout or anything and then they're told you can't go back on the field. They're just not going to put their hand up and it also puts a hell of a lot of pressure on the coaches and doctors mm. and match day doctors that if they see the player get a little knock but the player doesn't show anything, then what are they going to do? Go and pat the ref on the shoulder and say, you've got to send number eight from the field because, uh, you know, and at, at a professional level when you've got a crowd and you've got tension, it's it's a bit different. You know, at the community game level, everyone knows you've got to be over-cautious, you've got to be over-responsible and it's fine, but we just don't want to get caught in that stage and, and that's where we might end up. Yeah.
2: And- in a teething period, when that's what we're going through now, you say it started in 2018, it's been a few years since then. Does anyone have any idea of what the end goal will look like? Like what will be the perfect yeah, scenario for really, all these mouthguards to be a part of our game?
1: A really good question. So it's only been in the last 12 months that the blue test technology has allowed real-time measurement of, of a head acceleration event in training or, or playing. Yep. And so that's only started to come now. So one of World Rugby's motivations for getting all the players to wear it, as um, he was, that they wanted a whole lot of players wearing it so they could get data and do research and start to refine levels and work out how good it actually is. You know, are we just finding we're removing a whole lot of players and none of them have got concussion, in which case maybe it's not that great? Or is it proving a really useful tool? I, I think, and, and certainly from the players' perspective, we can really see potential in it. I think it's partly around concussion, but most of it's about load management, to be honest. So it's Mm -hmm. the the number of trainings you're exposed to during a week leading up to a game, the game itself, and then how that compounds over a year. Um, I I could see a day, in fact, we had the manufacturers from Prevent, uh, Sterling Mortlocks involved there, and he was in the office the other day, and he said, you know, there could be a day where you've got a certain maximum number of kilojoules that you can sustain during a year or a season, and players are managed to that. Um, to pull back on the, not so much the risk of the concussion thing, the sub-concussive knocks. And so I I think, you know, it's definitely got a role to play, a performance role in terms of managing players' load, and then a health and safety in terms of managing exposure to big impacts that could result in in concussive um, Mm. events. But, you know, like all these kind of technologies, you've got to do the work, you've got to do the research, and you've got to get it really refined before you're, you're implemented at this top kind of level, otherwise you can you can sort of lose your way, and I think they've just pushed it too hard. Mm. That said, we'll, um, we'll continue to do what we can to, to support it, because we do believe it's got some potential. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can I ask, um, from from what I understand, the Six Nations teams aren't using them in the Six Nations. In fact, Dwayne van der Merver, who's got a hat-trick for Scotland, wasn't even wearing a mouthguard at all uh, in the game against England. Um, do you know why that is?
1: <laughs> so, um, players are interesting, cat So, uh, they are wearing them. Um, in fact, we had an issue in, in the Scottish game. I think one of the boys has taken off and, and it was like, what was that all about? Um, so we actually, it was one of the first issues they'd actually had in this Nations. But you've got you've got this scenario where if players choose not to wear it and just be subject to recognise and remove, you've got this logistical challenge of working out who's wearing it and who's not on the field. And then the other part is if a player doesn't wear it during the week, you're not allowed to access HRA on the weekend. And and I suspect what's happened, and I think you even saw in Super Rugby, there's actually a few guys that have just jumped straight to recognise and remove. And then you've got the age-old problem of we've always had... New Zealand's been quite different. We've always made it compulsory to wear mouthguards. We've had the odd issue with with guys not wearing them, but we've always had it in our regulations in New Zealand you have to wear it. Up until this year, that hasn't been the case around the world. So a lot of players have played their whole careers without wearing mouthguards. And so the guys that are looking at this and going, I don't like it, it's clunky, it's niggly, I'm actually not sure I want to trust it. So they are just going recognise and remove. And then for some of them, of course, they don't wear mouth anyway, so they're just not wearing one. And then you've got an enforcement problem. And, uh, you know, when you're in six stations and you've got sixty or 70,000 people in a stadium screaming and the game's on the wire, um, it's going to be a brave ref that steps on and, and throws a player off the field for not wearing a mouth
2: guard. Does that fall under the employment contractual obligation from a New Zealand point of view? Like, if they're refusing to wear it, they're putting their body and potential to play for that team at risk. Doesn't that come fall under the umbrella of, well, you're contractually obliged to wear it, so you have to?
1: Yeah, so we, we did it through the collective agreement. Um, as you a, a long time ago eh? and, and the reason we did it is that ACC ACC presented a piece of research that just conclusively proved that wearing a mouth guard actually from a from a safety perspective around your jaw and your teeth and, and all that side of things was the right thing to do and we looked at we actually as much as anything looked at the community game and said well how can you convince people at community level to wear a mouth guard if professional players aren't wearing it so, so we brought into it, and we, and you know, there's the old player that finds it quite niggly that you're supposed to wear a mouthguard, yeah. um, but we felt it was the right thing to do for the game. But like mm-hmm. I said, around the world, mouthguards weren't compulsory, and so World Rugby have only just made it compulsory to wear a mouthguard, as in literally in the last month or so. But the enforcement of that's going to be another, to use that word again, sort of niggly situation, mm-hmm. particularly if you've got players that have played their career without a mouthguard yeah um, you know, it's, it's a big adjustment it's uh the guys are trying to like for those that have a warm mouth guards it's a real personal thing and it's yeah. um it does it, it's something that takes a while to get used to and everyone's a little bit different and uh yeah it definitely can affect the way in which you you perform when you're when you're pushing the boundaries in terms of of um strenuous activity shall we say
2: yeah. can be done rob can be done i, wear I, mean, I mean, years. I'm, I'm a big fan yeah. I went years 100%. without wearing my mouth guard and the reason was I couldn't breathe and I felt just congested in the mouth um, but there was an article written years ago you would have been a part of it when I wasn't wearing my mouth guard Adi yeah. wasn't wearing his mouth guard and I guess as role yeah. models we need to, to set the example for, for the younger players coming through. CTE is a big talking point in our game and I guess if you refuse to wear that mouthguard, guard where the text message come on yesterday said well if you refuse to wear your mouth guard through your career you have no well you have no grounds to go and chase the rugby union for CTE or any sort of a niggles going forward would that be the case yeah
1: there's a lot of um I mean whether the mouth guard itself, in relation to concussion, is actually you know mm. like useful, not in presenting, preventing concussion. I, I think um, you know it's, the jury's probably out on that. Uh, it's like kind of like the headgear. Um, certainly makes you I don't you know certainly makes you feel better, it gives you a level of security. Mm. Um, yeah, I actually was the other way around. I couldn't play without wearing one. was <laughs> yeah. freaking out um, But yeah, your points well made. I think it's a, it's even a bigger picture than that in terms of the neuro decline over time, like trying to understand the risks in that space is really complicated. You read all these research studies, they're all over the show, they're giving percentages. One of the pieces of work we're doing at the moment, we're trying to break that down in plain English and say, well out of a thousand people, if you play rugby and you don't play rugby, what's the, what's your right, what's your chance of having neuro decline later in life? And um, and we just want to get a figure so the players can make a fair assessment of risk in that space. What we've learned through a lot of these studies is, you know, whether you're wearing a mouth guard, whether you're following doctor's advice, whether you're putting your hand up, which you should do if you've got symptoms because you've had a head knock, put your hand up straight away and get medical attention and do it properly because, you know, whether you're following a rehabilitation program, whether you're choosing to drink after you've had a head knock, or, there's so many things that impact the health of your brain, particularly when you've, you've stressed it through a, a heavy impact or a concussion. Um... You know it's, it's there's a lot of common sense to that so the point you're making is is dead right you know it's about self-responsibility and doing everything you you know, you can do to minimize your risk and to follow the right the right instructions when you do have an event and if you do that um, most of the studies I'm reading and showing are that you know the, the elevated risk for for people playing contact sport um, is not astronomical it's, it's, it's easily manageable
0: yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, all right, Rob. It's a, it brings so many different things uh, up, you know, around employment law and then as Izzy mentioned, you know, sort of yeah. we've seen at the moment with the English rugby union dealing with court cases around CTE and things. So a, a long way to go. And this, I, the only thing I, I wondered is I wore a mouth guard for a little while when I was playing rugby league and I didn't enjoy it, but I did it. Um, and you used to be able to trim them, you know, get the scissors out, you'd soften them up in the hot water and then and then be able to trim them with a pair of scissors, you know, and all that sort of stuff. How easy to manipulate, to trim, and to, I guess, personalise are these mouth guards given all the technology that's in them?
1: Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're not dentistry fitted, but they're professionally fitted to each individual. So they're taking scans and moulds of the players, and then the mouth guard is made for your mouth. Um, the... the for those out there, so there's literally a little chip. The first mouthguard guard had two chips. It had a chip either side, and um, they, they both, one was like a GPS, and the other one measured, um, well, they both both measured different forces of impact. Like there's a straight-on impact and there's a rotational impact. And then they advanced the technology into one chip, and they were able to make the mouthguard guard quite a lot smaller because it only had the one chip um, in, in one side of the mouthguard. guard. But they're, they're basically, they're not quite dentistry fitted, but they're definitely moulded to each individual. So they're, they're a high quality fit. It's not like when you go down to the, you know, the chemist or wherever you get your mouth guard from and you just grab one and then you chuck it in the hot water and throw it in your mouth. They're, they're, they're professionally fitted. Um, yeah. But the issue is because they have to hold the chip in them, they're, they're a little bit bulky and robust. And for some plants, that's proving a little bit of a challenge to overcome. And... They can't quite, you know, over time I have absolutely no doubt so they'll get it to a, to a real quality, um, you know, fitting mouthguard to the point that it's as good if not better than most of the ones in the market. In fact, where I reckon it could end up is that you actually buy the chip separately and mouthguards are made in a way where you just put it in the mouthguard that you want to use mm. um, rather than having to buy that particular mouthguard because they're not cheap. Um, 500 know, bucks. Like, yeah, but more than that. Yeah, oh my, they're so
2: so who's fu- uh, they funded? Obviously, you know we're going to get to a stage where if you're playing fully professional, everyone is going to be wearing one.
1: Um, yeah, quite possibly. Uh, mm. At the moment, World Rugby are funding it for the first twelve months, and then no one's decided who's funding it after that. But uh, that's that's another little uh, little issue that will need to get worked out because um, yeah, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of teams here. We've got about twenty-seven pro teams mm. and uh, a lot of players. And, uh, you know, don't forget these mouth guards are going to be with you all the time. So, technically, you're not allowed to take the training field without one of them on.
2: Jeez. Imagine that responsibility <laughs> from Dagger. I would have lost plenty. <laughs> 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 no, yeah, like,
1: yeah, it wasn't really reasonable that well. And so, you know, someone in the team has to take responsibility for It's like the drink bottles, bringing the mouth guards, making sure they're charged up, and at the end of it, everyone's got to remember to put their mouth guard back in their pouch Oh, no. So, imagine (laughs) that for a fine system, is it? You've got the mouth guards (laughs) as well. Oh,
2: it would have been fine, plenty, mate. Oh, no. Something else for the kit man to do.
0: Something else for the kit man to do. All right, Rob. Hey, listen, I really appreciate you coming on this yeah, morning. Cheers, Rob. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's certainly a, an interesting topic, no doubt. You'll be getting uh, <laughs> uh, some mail from Maraisa Roberts and asking how he can protect uh, his first five's ribs uh, from from here. What, what what technology is available for that? But that's a that's a whole other discussion.
1: Yeah, look, I think it's one of those ones where it is what it is. We'll persevere and do the best we can, but at the same time, this is, this is you know, the guys, they want to get out there and perform, and if they lose trust or confidence in this technology, then uh, you're probably going to see more players going to recognise and roof. But we still think a, a vast majority will stick with it, yeah. and that data will help us get it better and better.